Calvary. My name is Weston Bauer. Our reading today will be from Revelation 12, verses 1 through 6. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she had a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Amen. Thank you, Weston. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary. My family and I are normally on the Boulder campus, but I love coming out to Thornton and seeing all my friends who are here. And I'm delighted to open to Revelation chapter 12 with you today. So if you haven't turned there already, I hope you will. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas outside. Are you ready for it? Did you know that Revelation 12 is a Christmas text? You're thinking, how is that possible? I just heard about a great red dragon with heads and horns and crowns, and what on earth does that have to do with Christmas? There is a child who is born, and that child's birth has great impact in what happens in the world. This is what I've loved about our study together in the book of Revelation. Revelation is like a window for us that opens to reveal the unseen realities of the spiritual world. Things that were in the past, things that are in the present, and things that will be in the future. And we often overlook the reality of a spiritual realm where things happen behind the scenes and have influence over our events in the world. But Revelation chapter 12 is meant to help us understand what's going on that might otherwise be invisible to us. As we read the first part of the chapter earlier, you probably noticed that there are three primary characters. There is this woman who is about to give birth. There's this great red dragon with terrifying heads and horns. And there is the baby that is to be born to the woman, a male child. So before we jump into the details of this vision, let's try to determine who these characters are. We probably say this every week, but it's a helpful reminder that Revelation is symbolic. It's filled with Im imagery and visions that aren't necessarily meant to be taken literally, but just like a painting, are a representation of what's real. We know for sure that the woman and the dragon that John sees in his vision are symbols because John tells us, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 12, that a great sign appeared in heaven. 
A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. John describes what he sees in this vision as a sign, a symbol, an image. And the image that he sees is a woman who is clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and she's wearing a crown that has twelve stars on it. I often wonder when I'm reading the book of Revelation what it must have been like for John to see these visions. I mean, it's, it's mind-blowing enough to read. I can't imagine seeing this and experiencing it. I mean, here is this woman clothed with the sun. She would have been radiant, blinding. But what does it mean? Now, John was a Jew in the first century, So he was deeply familiar with his Old Testament. And this kind of imagery would have conjured up another sort of vision, actually a dream from the Old Testament that he probably would have been familiar with. In Genesis chapter 37, Joseph, who is one of 12 sons of Jacob, dreams a dream with similar imagery. The sun and the moon and 11 stars are bowing down to him. He's one of 12 sons of Jacob. And essentially, what that dream means to Joseph is that the sun, which represents his father Jacob, who is also called Israel, and the moon, which in his dream represents his mother Rachel, and the 11 stars, which represents his 11 brothers, that dream for Joseph means that all of those people will serve Joseph one day, which comes to which comes true. By the way, if you ever have a dream like this, it's probably best to not share it with your family members. (laughs) Joseph does. They become jealous. His brothers send him into slavery. He goes to Egypt, and by a miracle of God, he is lifted up to be one of the most powerful men in Egypt. And indeed, just as he dreamed this dream, one day, his father and his 11 brothers come and seek his help because there's a famine in Israel and Joseph has stored up all of this food and they come seeking help. And indeed, they bow down to Joseph just as his dream had foretold. And so that dream is in John's mind as he sees this vision because the sun and the moon and the 12 stars are symbolic of Israel Later in verse 17 of Revelation chapter 12, we see that the dragon becomes furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So there are a couple ways to interpret the symbol of this woman. One is to interpret her as Israel. Another way is to interpret her as the people of God throughout history because of this verse here in 17 that talks about her offspring, the ones who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So we might see this woman symbolically as the people of God throughout history, both God's people Israel and the New Testament church today. That's who the woman symbolizes, the people of God. Then in verse 3, another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. This must have been terrifying for John to witness. 
All of those heads and horns and diadems, which is just another word for crowns, signify the power that this dragon has. So who does this dragon symbolize? Verse 9 tells us that it's the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. And in Revelation chapter 12, this dragon, the devil himself, wants to devour the third character, the male child. Who is he? Verse 5 tells us that the woman gives birth to the male child, and he is one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Who is the male child? Jesus. That's why Revelation chapter 12 might be called a Christmas text. Because it points to this picture of Jesus Christ in the incarnation being born to a woman and a dragon seeks to devour him. You remember when Jesus was born and Herod kills all of the firstborn children under the age of two in Bethlehem trying to devour this child? What is behind that? This great red dragon. By the way, verse 5 is a quote from Psalm 2, which is a messianic psalm, which clearly points to Jesus, that he will rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but he was caught up to God and to his throne. Verse 5 is like the shortest summary of Jesus and his life throughout the Bible. You have the birth of Jesus, then yada, 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 and he's caught up to God in his throne in heaven where he's ruling and reigning today. So it skips over, it fast forwards through Jesus' entire life, through his ministry, through all of his miracles, through his teachings, through his death and resurrection, all the way to his ascension. That's what verse 5 tells us about, about this male child, Jesus, the Son of God, who sits in heaven today and is enthroned. And so these are the characters, the woman who represents Israel, God's people, the child who is born and rules the nations and has ascended into heaven, and the dragon who hates God's people and seeks to destroy them. This is the unseen reality that Revelation chapter 12 opens up to us, that there is a war being waged by evil itself against God's people. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Friends, if we don't understand that there are hidden spiritual realities in the world around us, then life is disorienting and confusing. If we don't remember that we have a real enemy who is opposed to us, then when we face trouble in our life, it can totally turn our faith into a crisis. I was talking with someone last week and the subject of the war in Israel came up. And they said, I just can't believe that this kind of thing is still happening in 2023. War. Violence. I thought humans were better than this. I thought we were past that. It's so disappointing. We need the perspective that there is an enemy who is at work in our world 
and has deep impact on things that happen. Otherwise, the world doesn't make sense. And so this is where the book of Revelation, with all of its imagery and symbolism, and I know it can be difficult, and I appreciate you sticking with us as we open it and study it each week, but this is why it's so helpful and helpful for our day-to-day life. Here's what I hope we take away today from Revelation chapter 12. There is victory over a condemning adversary. That is the dragon. And that victory is found in a conquering advocate who is the child. Victory over a condemning adversary is found in a conquering advocate. So as we talk about that throughout Revelation chapter 12, I think first, we have to be aware that we actually do have an adversary. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 5.8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So whether the Bible pictures the devil as a lion or a dragon, or an ancient serpent, the scriptures are clear that Satan is a reality in our world. That there is a cosmic conflict going on behind the scenes that impacts what happens on the earth. I understand that can be hard to believe. Like there's a real devil, a real satanic being, a creature who has power, and authority, and has impact over our day-to-day life. You might have heard this quote from C.S. Lewis from his book, The Screwtape Letters. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which humans can fall about the devil. One is to disbelieve in his existence. That's an error. If we just ignore, don't think about, aren't aware that there is a devil in the world, That leads to very significant problems for us. So that's the first error that Lewis points out. The other, he says, is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in him. So we'll try to be balanced as we talk about the dragon today. Not an unhealthy interest in him, but aware of his tactics and what he does. Back in Revelation 12, verses 7 through 9 say this. Now war arose in heaven. And Michael and his angels were fighting against the dragon. Michael is an archangel who is often seen as the protector of God's people in the Old Testament. And the dragon and his angels, or demons, fought back. But the dragon was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who's called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. If we do, as Peter says, have a real adversary prowling around, then we need to be aware of him. So I think these verses show us three ways to be aware of our adversary. First, following that great war in heaven, the vision that John sees is that the great dragon is thrown down on the earth. Six times, In this chapter, in Revelation chapter 12, John tells us that Satan has been thrown out of heaven and is now down on the earth. B. 
Because the dragon, the devil, is down on the earth, that means he's not distant or removed from us. He's not in some alternate reality that has no impact on us in our day-to-day lives. But in fact, the devil is deeply involved in what happens in the world. The world is sort of his domain. He is the prince and power of the air. To be clear, he has limited dominion over the events of the world. He is never outside the authority or sovereignty of God. But he is allowed to exercise his power in the world. And so what is he up to while he's down here on the earth? Well, one of the things that he does while he's down here on the earth that Revelation 12 opens up to us is that he's down here persecuting the people of God. Watch how this unfolds in John's vision in verses 13 through 17. We won't have it on the screen, but follow along in your Bible or your journal. Verse 13 of Revelation 12 says, When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Now remember, the woman is symbolic of God's people. And the dragon, the devil, is is pursuing her, trying to root her out and attack her. But verse 14 of the vision, the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. This picture of the woman being given wings of an eagle. This reminds us of when God delivered his people from bondage in Egypt. God describes that deliverance of his people as bearing them on eagles' wings and bringing them to himself. So when John sees this woman with these wings like an eagle, he is reminded of Exodus 19 where God says this. And the picture is, oh, God is delivering his people from the attack of Satan. And where is he taking them? He's taking them to the wilderness, to a place where God is with them, can protect them so that the dragon cannot overcome them. It says she's going to be there for a time, times, and half a time. Pastor Perry talked about this last week. There's uh, several numbers in these chapters here in Revelation that all add up to the same amount of time, roughly three and a half years. You saw 1,260 days. That's basically 42 months, which is three and a half years. A time, times, and half a time is like one year, two years, and a half. So they all mean three and a half years. I know this gets a little weird and nuanced and detailed, but remember the number seven in the book of Revelation is really important. It communicates the idea of completeness or fullness. So three and a half years is like half of the full time of human history. So this period of time where Satan is able to persecute God's people is limited. That's what time, times, and half a time means. So even though Satan is down here on the earth persecuting the people of God, God is protecting them. And he is limiting the amount of attack that Satan can have on his people. Look at the way it's described in verses 15 and 16. The serpent poured water out like a river from his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. So in this vision that John sees, the the devil tries to destroy God's people through a flood. And sometimes Satan's schemes can feel overwhelming to us, right? 
like they're going to overcome us. There's nothing we'll be able to do. We're just flooded by it. But in this vision, the rest of creation actually stands up against the work of the dragon and comes to help God's people. It's a miraculous work of God to protect his people. The prophet Isaiah tells us in Isaiah chapter 43 that the Lord who has created us, who has formed us, says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And the waves will not overcome you. When you walk through the fire, you won't be burned. The flame shall not consume you. God is with his people when they are persecuted, when they feel pressure, when they are tempted by the schemes of the enemy. Look at verse 17. The dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And then look at this final phrase. And he stood on the sand of the sea. If you can underline or highlight in your Bible, you might just circle that sentence. He stood on the sand of the sea. That is shaky, unstable ground for the devil to have his footing. Think about the picture that Jesus tells of the man who built his house on the rock versus his man, the man who built his house on the sand. The devil may be down here on the earth, but he has weak footing. He's standing on the sand, not on the rock. He's got a foot in the sea, which is chaotic, and we'll see in the chapters to come how a beast rises out of the sea. But just remember that, that the devil's down here on the earth, but he doesn't quite have stable footing. Now, it's not just God's people that the dragon is after. Back in verse 9 of chapter 12, he is also the deceiver of the world. He's a liar. You ever wonder why there's so much deceit in our world? Fake news, misinformation, deep fakes, lying politicians. Where does that come from? That comes from the dragon, who is the deceiver of the whole entire world. That's one of his great schemes. Jesus said that the devil, in John chapter 8, that de the devil was a murderer from the beginning. He doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. When you hear of people who are being deceived, the ultimate source of that deception is the devil himself, our condemning adversary. That's one of his great tactics. So what do we need to know about the devil? He's down here on the earth. He is the deceiver of the world. But most importantly, the devil has been defeated in the war. You might circle that in verse 9 as well. The devil has been defeated. Our adversary has been overcome. The dragon was thrown down out of heaven after he lost the war. And his time is limited here to do his work. But victory has been found in our conquering advocate. 
And this chapter, Revelation 12, is not mostly or primarily about our adversary, even though there's a lot of language about the dragon, a lot of detail about the devil. It's not mostly about him. Revelation 12 is primarily about what the whole book of Revelation is about. The child. The son of God. So let's turn our attention from the condemning adversary to the conquering advocate, Jesus, in verse 10. John hears a loud voice in heaven saying, Now, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Daryl Johnson, a Canadian pastor who has preached through the Revelation, the book of Revelation numerous times and has written a very helpful commentary about it, says this, which is one of my favorite insights from him about Revelation chapter 12. He says, you should notice, by the way, that John does not use the word sign with reference to the child. The woman is a sign. The dragon is a sign but not the child. The woman points beyond herself to another reality. The dragon points beyond himself to another reality. The child does not point beyond himself to another reality. He is the reality. We're not going to find a literal woman clothed in the sun We are not going to find a literal dragon with seven heads and ten horns, but we are going to find a literal male child, a son. And who is he? He is Jesus. John says in another letter that he wrote, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. In the face of a condemning adversary who's real and who is active in the world and who's down here on the earth seeking to deceive and to devour and to destroy, we need to have confidence that we have a conquering advocate. Jesus promised before he even returned to heaven, before he died, that we would face trouble or tribulation in our world, that we would face real problems and have challenges. He said in John chapter 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Which is exactly what I think John is describing in his vision. This terrifying dragon that seeks after this woman tries to persecute God's people, tries to accuse them, is their adversary, lobs lies and deceit against them. In this world, you will have tribulation or trouble. You'll face problems. 
And the ultimate root of that evil and those problems that you face and the tribulation that you will experience as one of my followers, that ultimately comes back to the devil himself, this great red dragon. But take heart, Jesus says. I have overcome the world. It's bad news that there is a devil. It's bad news that we face a spiritual battle in our world. That there is a cosmic conflict going on behind the scenes that has impact here in our life. That's bad news. But the good news is that Jesus Christ has conquered, has overcome the world and all of its travails and troubles. And so, in the midst of the tribulation we may experience down here on the earth, Jesus has equipped us with a couple of weapons that have already won the war and that we can have confidence in. And we can leave today remembering the ways that Jesus has equipped us. So here here is the first weapon that has won the war. It's in verse 11. John says, They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. So what I wrote down in my journal is the first weapon that Jesus has equipped us with that has won the war is his wounds. You might underline the blood of the lamb, the wounds of Jesus Christ. He has paid it all for us so that Satan can no longer condemn us, can no longer be our ultimate adversary. We have overcome him because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. This was his mission and why he came to the earth to seek and to save the lost so that they might no longer live in sin but live with him forever. Peter tells us that Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, which is another word for the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And then he says this, I love this phrase, by his wounds you have been healed. This is a weapon that Jesus gives you to wage war against the devil. Whenever you wonder whether or not you can have confidence that you will stand before the Lord, if you have trusted in Christ, His wounds have healed you permanently. You don't have to go back in for another operation. You have been completely healed by the wounds of Jesus because he bore our sins in his body on the tree. Satan loves to accuse us. He loves to attack us. He is often pictured as sort of standing before God and lobbing accusations. And Jesus just stands in the way there and takes those accusations and says, I paid for those. I paid for those when I died. My wounds have healed those sins. My wounds have taken that away. And this is a weapon that we need to be reminded and confident in the face of attack that we might face. This was promised by God. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53 says, he was pierced for our transgressions. Hundreds of years before Jesus comes to the earth, this is written. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. We've been healed by the blood of the Lamb. We are victorious over a condemning adversary because Jesus has shed his blood 
for us. That's the first weapon that Jesus gives us that have, that's already won the war. And the second is our witness. His wounds, our witness. I think this is a weapon because when we maybe hear the voice of Satan or the devil or hear an accusation against us, the weapon that Jesus gives us is to just witness back to Satan about the reality of what Jesus has accomplished for us. John describes it as the word of their testimony. But this is, this is what Jesus has done for us. The way that Jesus has saved us, has rescued us from the domain of darkness and delivered us into his eternal kingdom. This is our testimony. Do you ever think about your personal testimony as a weapon against Satan? That if someone ever persecuted you, lobbed an accusation against you, where is the promise of his coming? They might say to you. And you could just hearken back to your testimony. Here's what I know, what Jesus has done for me. This is who I was and this is who I am because of Jesus Christ. I might not be able to answer every accusation that people bring to me, but I can tell you this. I was a sinner and now I'm free because Jesus has saved me. I have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. It's as if those accusations that are lobbed against you from the enemy are like one of those little plastic Nerf darts and you're wearing full body armor. They just bounce off you because you've been cleansed by the blood of the lamb and you have a personal witness of what Jesus has done in your life. The ways that he has changed you and transformed you. The ways that you are a new creation in Christ, completely different than you were before you knew Jesus. This is a powerful work against evil. The word of their testimony, he says. These weapons are so strong that John says, they loved not their lives even unto death. So powerful. These weapons are so successful that even the death of a believer is not a victory for Satan. There's, there's all sorts of language throughout Revelation about martyrs, people who lose their life for the sake of Christ. And what John is underscoring is, is that we have so much confidence, so much victory over Satan, that even if we lose our life because we testify to who Jesus is, Satan doesn't have a victory over us. He does not have the final word in death. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? That's how people can stand before someone who is ready to destroy them because of their beliefs and proclaim Christ and have confidence. Because they know they've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. They have a personal witness and testimony of what Jesus has done in their life. And so even if death confronts them, they can say, I will not deny my Lord Jesus because he has saved me. He has cleansed me. And this is the ultimate victory against a condemning adversary. He may have purview and power down here on the earth, but if we believe in Jesus, then our citizenship is ultimately in heaven. And so we can say with the Apostle Paul, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Victory over the condemning adversary is found in the conquering advocate, Jesus. I hope you'll take that away from Revelation chapter 12. In whatever confronts you today or tomorrow or this week, 
that you'll be reminded that you have a Savior who loves you, who shed His blood for you, who has changed and transformed your life by the work of His Holy Spirit, who is today reigning and ruling on His throne in heaven. That for some reason, in His purpose, for His glory, He allows Satan to be active in some limited capacity here on the earth. But you are victorious over him. You are a conqueror because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you.